you, Jesus. Yes, Lord, there's no one else like you. You're worthy of all glory, all honor, all adoration. Father, we exalt you, we worship you, we bow before your throne. Yes, we join the host of heaven, the elders, the cherubim, the seraphim, the angels in festal array to worship and to declare, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the one who was, the one who is, the one who is to come, the one who forever shall be God Almighty, omnipotent. Yes, Lord, there's truly none like you, none besides you, none above you. We worship you. We thank you for this beautiful day. Thank you for waking us up this morning. Thank you for how you've been with us all through the day, for answering our prayers, for performing miracles, for healing our sicknesses and our diseases. Thank you for good health. Thank you. Thank you for our nation. Thank you for the peace that we have. Thank you, Lord. We don't have to worry. He said we should not worry about what we're going to eat, what we're going to drink, clothing for our backs, where we're going to live. For you know we, we need these things. Thank you because you've been faithful and you've provided these things for us. We give you thanks. We give you praise. Lord, as we're going to Bible study today, we ask for the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you so that we may know you better. Father, we ask that the eyes of our hearts, the eyes of our understanding be enlightened, flooded with light so that we may know the hope of your calling, the riches of the glory of your inheritance and the saints and your exceedingly great power in us who believe. Father, fill us with the knowledge of your will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Open our eyes that we'll be, so that we may behold wonderful things in your word tonight. Open our ears that we may hear what your Spirit is saying to us as individuals and as a church. Father, open our hearts and our minds that we may truly understand the Scriptures today so that there will be no ambiguity, no confusion. And Father, let us not just be hearers of your words, but doers also. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, we have prayed. Amen, amen, amen. Welcome, everyone, to today. Bible study, November 16, 2022. And we are continuing our study of the book of James, and this is part six. Taming the tongue, James chapter three from verse one through to 12. Okay, so let's go. Um, I'll quickly read the introduction, and then we'll go. Thankfully, it's just 12 short verses, and we'll just try and go line by line. Ah, Holy Spirit, we invite you. Thank you for this outline. Thank you, thank you, thank you, precious Holy Spirit. All right. Introduction. Most Christians have heard it said that death and life are in the power of the tongue. I mean, this is one of those popular scriptures that uh, anyone who's been a believer for a while knows. The words we speak are very powerful. James, in this passage, begins to shed light on just how powerful our tongue is and why he said earlier in chapter 1, this is in, uh, I believe, James 1.28, that those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. As a pastor, you know, graciously mentioned at the beginning of this study that James is a very practical person. So, you know, he breaks it down. You know, how are we doing these things practically? And right off the bat, you know, he's saying if you say you're religious, if you say you're a believer, you say you're a Christian, and you don't watch the words that are coming out of your mouth, then you are deceiving yourself and your religion is worthless. 
Okay. Let's start. James chapter 3, verse 1. Can someone please read? James chapter 3, verses 1. And many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. More strictly. Thank you. So not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach. Now, by the time he's saying we, James is including himself, will be judged more strictly. Okay, I put another scripture there because I want us to kind of really think about why is he saying this. We have, this is Hebrews 5, 11 to 12, I read from here. It says, we have, and it's in the, it's in the outline, we have much to say about this. This is the writer of Hebrews saying, speaking. But it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. Verse 12. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need, so underline that, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Colossians 3.16, again it's in the handout, it's in the outline, says this, let the message of Christ dwell richly or dwell among you richly as you teach, underline that, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. So the writer to Hebrews says, you know, you guys need to grow. You should be teaching now. Yet you are needing someone to teach you again the basic truths of God's words. Yeah, and then in Colossians, the writer of the Colossians is saying, as Christians, the word of God, the message of Christ, the gospel should dwell so richly among you as you teach one another with all wisdom, psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. So, you know, to get this Bible study going, my first question is, who is a teacher in this context? And what does James mean? Or what is he saying? But not many should become teachers. And why is he saying so? Is this contradictory? Even though other parts of scripture are saying, come on, you need to grow. You need to be able to teach this thing. And you need to teach one another as the word of Christ dwells richly among you. So anyone wants to take a stab at the question? Why is James saying not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers? Is it okay? I guess the first question is is the Bible contradicting itself? Awesome. Yes, my sister is on to something. Anyone wants to add to that? Or disagree? Or even agree more? Um, I want to add to what she said. Um, teachers are not only pastors and preachers, although some have the gift of teaching. But believers, just as the Bible says, we should go and make disciples of him. So as we go out to make disciples, to teach people, 
share the gospel. We are also teaching. So um, we are all included as teachers. And the second part of the question that says, why is he saying that we should be careful when we are teaching? Um, I believe, you know, if you're a teacher, you're teaching, you're supposed to lead by example. You know, when you teach your students and at the end of the day, you're not doing what you taught them. I mean, the Lord will be like, you know better. You've, you, this is what you taught them. So why are you not doing it? So your own punishment, that would be too much because you know better. And another aspect of it is, if you're teaching, you should know what you're teaching because you may be teaching wrongly and leading people astray and you still will answer questions before God. Amen. Thank you, Sister Ife. Awesome, awesome, awesome. All right. Can someone open to Luke chapter 12, verse 47 to 48? And read it, please. I, 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 I believe, and I agree with what um, my two sisters have said. Um, but I think this kind of gives a little bit more insight into what James is pointing towards. So Luke chapter 12, verse 47 to 48. It's the end, it's towards the end of a parable, but we are not going to read the whole parable, but I think that those two scriptures, those two verses um, say everything that needs to be said about it. Luke 12, from verse 47 to 48. Anyone there? So it says, the servant who knows the master's will and does not get ready or does not do what the master wants will be beaten with many blows. But the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with, with much, much more will be asked. Amen. So... That's Jesus speaking in that parable, saying his servants, his shepherds should know better. They do know better. They've been equipped better. So they will be judged more strictly. They'll be judged more strictly. So to your point, my sister, yes, this is talking about most likely the office of the teacher. Um... So it's not something you should be, how can I put it? Obviously, you should be called. If you're not called into something, you probably shouldn't go there because of especially this. But obviously, if you are called, and obviously, the more of God you know, the more you really shouldn't be tripped up with this stuff. But this ties into verse 2 because he's going somewhere with it. So, um, James 3, 1 to 2. I'll read from here. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. So to your point, Sister Ife, if you are teaching, you better be careful about what you're teaching. You better know it. And live accordingly to what you're teaching. So no pressure. <laughs> no pressure. All right. But James is being very practical. Okay. Let me see if our audience online is. Okay. They're, they're still warming up. Good. Let's move on. Um, James 3, 2 talks about human fallibility, which we just read now. It says, we all stumble, meaning we all sin, we all fall short, we all offend, we all make mistakes in many ways. Can someone please read 1 John chapter 1 from verse 5 to 10? 
First John chapter one from five to ten or one to ten? Five to ten. Okay. All right. This is a message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Amen. So why do we all stumble? Why? I mean, we here, it's not talking to unbelievers. It's talking to believers, right? That's established. James was writing this letter to the church. So why do we sin even after we come to Christ, we've been 10 years in the faith, we've been discipled, we are discipling others. Why do we sin? Why do we stumble? Why do we fall short? Why do we offend? Why do we still make mistakes? And not just in one way, it says in many ways. Anyone wants to take a stab at that? Um, the reason why we fall short in of sin because of our unbelief and because of what we think about in our thoughts, mind. So that uh, why that's we fall short. Hmm. That's an interesting concept because of our unbelief, okay, and because of thoughts in our minds. Absolutely. Um, I I would like to look at Jesus Christ. Um, I think. Jesus Christ came here as human flesh um, just to know what we're going to go through. And for the fact that he did that, he was able to subdue his flesh. One, he was always retreating. You see, many times he will retreat to himself to just go pray, right, to seek the Father's face. And not only that, when he was not retreating, he was just really focused on what is um, responsibility and what he came here to do. Now, when we think about us, um, and I speak for me, um, we are so busy with different things that many times, even though as Christians born again, we don't really find that time to retreat and just have a one-on-one with our God. Um, constantly, we're not always in his presence because we've occupied ourselves with so much things, work, school, children, husband, whatever it is, right, that we do not put that full attention on him. And at times when you tend to do that, you tend to just leave a little bit of that gap open. Um, and when that gap opens, that's a very dangerous place. And this is why the Bible tells you that we should always search our spirit and just make sure that we're still in line with God. Because it's flesh is just, it's like an open cave, like just being in, in the flesh. So I think if we can strive more as Christians to just always just have that one-on-one um, check yourself every day. I mean, possibility that that sin won't crawl and will be there. Obviously, the Holy Spirit guides us to do this. But I will say the main cause is the fact that we, we do not have that one-on-one every day um, because of the things of the world, things we have to do. So, yeah. Okay. I like what my sister said. And to back up what she's saying, that's why we read First John chapter 1. From 5 to 10. Now notice what it says. Um, If we claim to have fellowship with him. And yet walk in darkness. We lie. And do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light. As he is in the light. And we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. So it's given us insight into how to deal with this sin issue. Meaning, walk in the light. Walk with Jesus. Also, there is a component of fellowship with one another. 
This whole thing of being a Christian on your own. I don't want to be part of any church. Don't be part, don't intrude into my life. That is a recipe for disaster. In fact, right then, then you're already seeing it. So there's something about being a part of a group. People teaching one another, admonishing one another, holding one another accountable. So when you are in fellowship with one another, then the blood of Jesus does what? Purifies from all sin. Takes it away. Amen. Now, there's one other aspect, and this is where James is talking about, where our words, our tongue is very critical. It says this in verse 2 of James chapter 3, verse 2. We all stumble in many ways. Full stop or period. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. So, if we agree, or if you agree personally, that you've been stumbling in many ways, can I submit to you that what have you been saying? What do you say? What are your thoughts? What are you saying to yourself in the inside of your mind when you're by yourself, when no one else is there? What are you saying? Because James is saying, anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, is mature, able to keep their whole body in check. So your tongue or your words are very powerful. They can actually keep your flesh in check. They can keep your body in check. So your body wants to do this, or your mind wants to do this, or your flesh wants to do that, you say, no, 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 no. I'm a Christian. We don't do that. Or are you like Eve? At least unfortunately at that point, when the enemy comes and says, did God really say? And instead of stopping right there and say, yes, God said. And end of discussion. You entertain and then start having this discussion. Which is what Jesus did. Oh, turn these stones into bread. No, we don't do that. Yes, I'm hungry. I feel like doing that. But no. God said this. Oh, okay, you know, worship me, I'll give you this whole thing. No, 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 no. God said this. So you see why your words are very powerful. All right. Okay. So what you say or are constantly saying is key to keeping you from always stumbling. It is key to keeping your whole body, your flesh, in check. What you say and what you don't say are both important. Proper speech is not only saying the right words at the right time, but it is also controlling your desire to say what you shouldn't. Examples of an untamed tongue include gossiping, What is gossiping? Because I think, how is that different from gisting? Uh, gossiping can be like, let's say someone doesn't like a person and they like spread this false information and then you spread the false information and then it goes one to another to another while gisting is like, Sharing information about your life to someone else. So, yeah. Thank you for the answer. Uh, well, okay. <laughs> Can Justin also be sharing information about others? Because you said just information about yourself, which is, I love that answer. That's perfect. You can, I mean, hopefully you will share bad information about yourself. <laughs> Uh, 
Anybody else? Because I hear this all the time, gossip, uh, but uh, it's just in. Anyone wants to take a stab at it? Um, gossiping is actually saying things about people that, you're not that you are not necessarily supposed to be saying. So, whereas gisting can be a very mutual communication or just casual conversation, but gossiping is actually, you know, talking behind someone's back or in a way that you can't even say in front of them. Okay. Yeah, I think you want to say something, my sister? Oh, okay. I think Brad David really hit the nail on the head. I was just going to add that gossiping is anything that you can't say in front of the person and you say to somebody else, or any form of slander or unsaid, I, I don't know if the word is in the way that sort of makes somebody look bad. As long as it makes the person look bad or not so great, I think it's gossiping, saying it to somebody else. What if it's true or it's a fact? It's still gossiping. <laughs> hmm. There's an act in its uh, legal, it's called Freedom of Information Act, that people have a need to know. <laughs> so how does that tie in? That there, you know, such information... Yeah, it doesn't make that person look good, but I think you need to know. Because I think a lot of people hide behind that. Just to add with what you said, I think what makes it the full gossip is the intention behind the person saying it. In the, you know, when someone is gossiping about somebody, the mind, the, the mind behind it is actually, like you said, to slander the person. So it's, even if it's fact... Even if it's true, it's, it's a news that is bad. You want to really share it. Like the intention is not to make the person better. It's just to destroy someone. Wow. So a lot of our newspapers, social media, wow. They are gossiping. In fact, they call it gossip column, right? <laughs> and they are juicy. Oh, my God. <sighs> All right, I just see a definition here. I agree with all that's been said. It says, uh, this is from dictionary.com. Gossip is idle talk or rumor, especially about the personal or private affairs of others. <laughs> and it gives an example. The endless gossip about Hollywood stars. Interesting. All right. Okay, so examples of an untamed tongue is gossiping, putting others down, Bragging. We'll come to that in a little bit. Manipulating. False teaching. Exaggerating. Complaining. Flattering. Lying. Before you speak, ask, is what I want to say true? Is it necessary? Is it kind? Philippians 4.8 talks about what we should think about. But a lot of times, that also is the same about what we should talk about. Uh, can someone quickly read Philippians Philippians 4.8, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Amen. So think about such things, meditate about such things, say those things. Those are things that should come out of our mouths. So I'll just quickly go on our online audience. Um, why do we sin? Reza saying, because we still live in the world and we are not perfect, anytime we fall to sin, it's because we lean on our own strength and not on God. 
uh, Sister Adesue says, a lot of gist leads to gossip conversations. <laughs> and I think she's very right. So you have to be careful when you're gisting that it doesn't turn up being gossip. Okay. So I have a question here. Since we all stumble in many ways, does God excuse human fallibility in believers? Does God say, oh, they are human? What else do you expect? Anyone wants to try? I don't have any answer here, if you can see. So I just want something for us to see what we arrive at. Yeah, but God, I think God could excuse it because he says, um, if, you, if you repent from your sins, repentance, 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 that's why we have to um, go on to pray every day and just every day tell God like, what, we, what we said to other people. So God is calling us to repent. Okay, so yes, you're on the side of it's not excusing human fallibility. Okay. I think the answer... The easy answer is no. Um, the easy answer is no. The easy answer is no. So there's, a, there's but, an answer that's not so easy. Okay. <laughs> I, well, the, the reason being excuse is different, very different from um, forgiving or being favorable towards. Excuse, I think, sort of lends towards this is okay for you to do simply because you're human, despite the fact that you're a believer. And I think that's what James almost is getting started with in verse 1, where he says that um, many of you shouldn't become teachers because we will be judged more strictly, because the point of being a teacher is the things that you are saying um, have so much weight. The fact that you know means that you can be judged on, on that even more strictly. And so the fact that we are believers means we are judged even more strictly on our fallibility, being conscious of it. We're not excused for it we have the opportunity to repent of it. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. I bring that up because sometimes, and if we're not careful, yes, God is understanding. God is merciful. He is compassionate. But he also has standards. There's a reason why Jesus died. It wasn't just so that you continue living the lifestyle you were. I mean, then why did Jesus die? You know, it's so that we could be better people, so that we can be saints. That's why. So, to your point, I'm happy you answered that way. You helped me out. It doesn't excuse it. He understands it, but he wants you. He's saying you can do better. Especially because he's giving the Holy Spirit to help, to give you all that you need to be able to do that. And also instructions in his word. For example, now, James is saying, if you can control your tongue, that will go a long way in dealing with sin, right? That's what we established in James chapter 3, verse 1 to 2. I'm like, wow. So you're saying it's like, a new, to me, I was, when I started, like, wow. If I can actually really, really control my tongue or my words, my body or the rest of my life will follow suit. So, for me going forward now, I really need to watch what have I been saying? What am I saying? What words come out of my mouth? And there's no excuse. I mean, people are going to get me angry. People are going to, well, yeah, yeah. People are going to get me angry. People are going to get me whatever you want to say. But don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't react in your anger. Don't, you know, don't do those things. Don't just say certain stuff. When you get information that's juicy, pause, stop. Don't, your instinct should be, ah, I need to, I mean, this is, this is news. This person needs to know. Pause. Is there a need to know basis before you just go share information? 
All right, stuff is happening. Should I always be complaining? Always complaining. If something is not wrong with your boss, it's with the mayor. If it's not the mayor, it's with the governor. If it's not the governor, it's whoever is president. All right. Um, next thing that he talks about, James chapter 3, 3 to 4. Can somebody read that, please? Now, if you're in the auditorium, please, if you have any questions as we go along, please, uh, you can raise your hand and uh, get the mic and ask. But in the meanwhile, James chapter 3, verse 3 to 4. We can make a large horse turn around and go wherever we want by means of a small bit in his mouth. And a tiny ruder makes a huge ship turn whenever the pilot wants it to go, even though the winds are strong. Okay, awesome. Thank you. So he's saying we as human beings, I mean, you've seen people who ride in horses and carriages and stuff. They just pull. Anything on the mouth, and you can go whatever direction it wants, you want it to go. Ships also as a tiny rudder. We drive cars. It's just a small steering wheel. And, you know, so it's saying the same way. The tongue or your words determine the direction of your life. If anything to me, this is probably the most powerful part of, the, of, of this whole passage. The fact that you can determine what direction or where your life wants to go or where you want your life to go by the words you are speaking. In fact, where your life is headed right now is probably because of what you've spoken in the past that's gotten you to where you are today. Proverbs 18, verse 20 to 21 says, From the fruit of their mouth, a person's stomach is filled, and with the harvest of their lips, they are satisfied. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. What you say is an expression of what you believe in your heart. What you say about yourself is an expression of what you believe in your heart. That is why your words determine the direction of your life. We learned last week um, from a powerful Bible study session by Dr. Norma that faith must find expression through our actions. We learned that. Faith and works. Faith without works is dead. But also, faith without speech, I submit to us, is dead. You can't believe something and you are not talking about it. Romans 10, 9 to 10. Can someone read that real quick? It talks about how we got saved in the first place. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and and believe in your heart that God raised from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Awesome. So if you confess or declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So you have to say, Jesus is Lord. 
For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess or profess your faith and are saved, or confession is made unto salvation. So you have to say that which you believe. There's a... There's a story we quote about, we all know about a lot. The woman with the issue of blood uh, in Mark chapter 5, and I think I put it here, about what led to, you know, a healing, a miracle. Verse, and I read from here, Mark chapter 5, verse 27 to 29. So she's sick, sick, sick. That was the direction she was headed. She had seen so many doctors, things were not working well. Everything was, she was actually getting sicker and sicker and sicker. But she wanted to change the direction of her life from being someone who was sick to someone who was healthy. And look at what she did. Verse 27, she heard the reports concerning Jesus. So, meaning she had heard that Jesus heals the sick. She probably heard that, you know, power comes from him. People who touch him get healed. So she had heard those reports. And then she took the step. This is where action and faith comes in. This is part of what we did last week. She came up behind him in the throng and touched his garment. Verse 28, and I underlined it. For she kept saying, or she thought to herself, she kept saying to herself, if I only touch his garments, I shall be restored to health. And immediately, a flow of blood was dried up at the source. And suddenly she felt in her body she was healed of her distressing ailment. Mark eleven twenty two to 23 says, let me read that from here. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go, throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen. It will be done for them. So you say, you believe what you say, and it's done. Your words determine the direction of your life. Now, contrast to if you fear, if you doubt, and you say those things, that is exactly what will happen to you. So our words are powerful. Life and death is really in the power of the tongue, of our words. So we really, really need to watch what we say. Hmm. All right. Any Questions? Any, anything one wants to say about that? Anyone wants to contribute? The power of words? My sister here wants to say something. Um, I, just a contribution. Sure. I think it's more about what we think. Because um, out of the abundance of our hearts, our mouth tends to say things. We, we say words, right? Mm -hmm. So it's more, I feel it is more about controlling our thoughts, putting mm -hmm. our thoughts under the subjection and power of God, right? So, yeah, that's what I wanted to say. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. She's absolutely correct. Because the words come from somewhere. They come from the inside. They come from the inside. Um, hmm. uh, okay. Well, let's, I, think, I think we can deal with it now since she brought it up. Um, Matthew chapter 15, verse 11, and verse 18 to 19. If we can read that real quick. Matthew chapter 15, verse 11, 
and then verse 18 to 19. Not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what goes out of his mouth, this defiles a man. 18 and 19 states, But those things which proceed out of the mouth comes from the heart, and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, theft, false witness, and blasphemies. Okay, so to my sister's point, some of those things come out. So, question. If these things are in the heart, and we know that obviously they're bad, is there, can our words change that? Is there a way we can employ our tongue or our words to change what's in the heart? Wow, okay. I'm going to have this because I can see their faces. This to be, she's saying no, she's shaking her head, and she's actually saying yes. Yeah, okay. So your question was if there was a way we could change our heart? What comes out of our heart? Since you said that's where it comes out, and your mouth comes out. You said from, from the yes. heart we speak. So I'm saying is there a way you can change what's in your heart by what you're saying? By what you're saying. Yeah. Can you employ, I mean, it says death and life is in the power of the tongue, right? We'll be saying you, you can change your life by what you say. So can you change your heart by what you say? That's okay, the so question. I just yeah. understood your question. No. Okay. What you can do is to change the state of your heart, right? No, I've not. I just understand your question okay. now. There was a misunderstanding. So you are saying no, you can't change it. From what okay. comes out of your mouth, no. Okay. That's the calm she's in. All right. Maybe you will change now. <laughs> no, I, I still think um, you, you can't change the, your heart with your mouth. I think it's from the other direction. Um, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The only thing that can really change your heart is the word of God, the medit- what you meditate on. Okay. Anybody else? No? Okay. Right, David. I'm just going to read um, Proverbs 4.23. Okay. It says, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flow from it. Keep your mouth free of perversity. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thoughts to your parts for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. So you are bringing another angle. And I agree with you to say that, okay, what you are saying it could be contributing to what's in your heart. Right? That's what Proverbs seems to suggest. Keep corrupt talk from, from your heart. So you can actually control to some degree. Now, what I'm talking about, I'm, I'm, I'm already assuming something. We're talking of believers now who have the Holy Spirit. I'm not talking about unbelievers. Those ones, well, let's leave them alone. We're talking about believers here. So there's a role for what you are saying. There's a role, to your point, to the Word of God. Because, uh, do I have it here somewhere? Uh, I think I do. We're going to get there shortly. Because you realize that with the same mouth, I think James will get to it shortly, you are praising God, and the same mouth, you are cursing a human being. So you know enough to praise God. But also, there's still a part of you that still says these things. So, with the word of God now, constant, you make the decision that, okay, you know what, I'm, I'm saying these things, they are bad. Next time, I'm going to meditate, memorize the word of God so that when these things happen, that's what comes out of my mouth. Does that help? Make sense? Or no? 
Okay. Jesus, for example, I'll use Jesus as an example. It would not have been a temptation if it wasn't really a temptation. He was hungry. Okay? It just wasn't time for him to eat yet, number one. Two, the other thing was also about his identity. But he reached down and quoted the scripture instead of acting on his impulses. Okay, when they were nailing him to the cross and he said, Father, forgive them. That was not a... natural response. That was a supernatural response. But that was the response that came out of him. All right. As we go on, this will, this will get more clear. Um, okay, James chapter 3, 5 to 6. Oh, okay. The question was, can you use your mouth to change what's in your heart, right? Mm-hmm. Um, does speaking things that are not as though they were, does that apply to this? Some, okay, I don't want to use the word, but I guess I'm forced to. Affirmations. When you're, when you're saying affirmations mm-hmm. in that sense, it's usually contrary to what is in your heart, what you're feeling. So, how does that work? Absolutely. I, so, um, I guess maybe I, I, I feel like you can answer that question as yes. Your, your mouth can change. Or am I, I don't know, am I overthinking it? No, yeah, I think, I believe you're actually very right. I, I'm sure we're gonna, I think, okay, you want to add to that? I think we're having the same thought because I agree completely. I think there's, I think we get stuck in the idea that everything that comes out of our mouth is like our brain does determine these things. But at times when you're still making the transition and you're learning um, more about the word of God and like, you know, in the earlier verses where I said, when you still need milk, right? The primary thoughts that are in your mind and in your heart sometimes are going to be negative because you're still of the world, because you're still sinful and fleshful. But if you can make certain habits in the things that you say where you're repressing those things, right, you can essentially train your mind to think a certain way by speaking certain things instead of saying what comes to your heart, right? So similar with affirmations or for a different example, for example, let's say you're, I don't know, working out in the gym, right? Um, If you tell yourself, this is something I do to myself, it's like, I'm going to do one more, right? As opposed to be like, oh, I'm tired, right? You can essentially train your brain to believe I have this energy stored somewhere else where I can do this. I think in those small, small ways, and I think what James is getting to here is that the mouth is so, it's not just small in the physical aspect of it. It's also small in almost the impact that we feel that it has, right? or the ability that we think that it has over the body, right? But you can control so much with it. It's the first or the easiest um, manifestation of your thoughts, of your, of your heart, right? And you can almost sort of reverse engineer that to use a different term. Amen. Wow. Okay. David. All right. Uh... I'm going to slightly disagree with um, what Maya said, slightly. Um, I think there are things, there are such things as mere words, right? A word is as strong as the depth of the heart is pouring out from. As a Christian, you, you can't, I don't believe you can use just the words to change your heart. Because what changes your heart is what you study, and that's God's word. So you feel your heart so that it's able to change you, and it's what pours out of your mouth from the depth of your heart that has weight. Uh, and I think even in, um, when he says in confession, in, in becoming, in being saved, he says confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. So there is that depth of, anyone can say anything from the mouth, but there must be 1% believing in the heart 
And that's what makes the, the, the miracle. So if you're just saying words, I can just say, hey, uh, I'm going to touch the sky. I'm going to touch the sky. I'm going to touch the sky. If that conviction is not deep somewhere from my heart, it's just the word being said. You said I'm going to touch the sky? I'm just giving an instant. Okay. No, no, I just, because actually, John F. Kennedy said we're going to go to the moon in 10 years. And when he said it in 1960, whenever it was, nobody believed him. No, just because you said, touch the sky. Sometimes it contradicts you with your own words. And nine years later, America landed on the moon. But when he said it, nobody believed him. So, pastor is going to help us out. Well, I think the reason why we are struggling is because they are all connected. Yeah, I mean, clearly, uh, our heart, God wants our heart and our mouth to be connected. Right, and when they are connected, they can really we can do wonders with it as believers. So, as believers, definitely, uh, when you know when we give our life to Jesus Christ, you know God gives us a new heart, right? And uh, and He wants us to now store the Word of God in our hearts. You know when James says receive with gladness, right, the implanted word which is able to save your soul. He wants us to plant the word of God in our heart. Uh, Psalm says, your word I have hidden in my heart that I may not uh, sin against. Uh, the Bible also talks about uh, Joshua 1, eight. you know, in him does he meditate, in his word does he meditate day and night, right? Now, the process of medica- meditation also involves speaking. Uh, meditation is actually mean speaking to word to yourself. It's almost like mustering it to yourself. Uh, of course, uh, David is right in the sense that it is not just hollow saying, uh, because Jesus says some people just say prayer, they repeat it, thinking just by mere repeating it, that prayer will be hard. If it is not coming out of the heart, if it is just mere talk, it means much. It means nothing, right? These people honor me with their lips. Jesus said, right? Uh, he said, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. So when words come out of our lips, but we don't mean them in our heart, God knows that, all right? So, uh, but also, it is impossible to really store things in our heart without involving our mouth, you know. So it just means as believers we must work hard to align our hearts with our mouth and to also align our mouth with our heart. So I think we have work on both uh, because both are really connected uh, in our spiritual journey as believers. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you. Well said, well said. Let me go just real quick to the online audience. Um, all right. <laughs> We're asking about uh, whether God excuses human fallibility. And uh, insp- Deza Inspired says, well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue living it? Okay. Sister Wamaka says, yes, we can change our heart by speaking the word of God. Sheonun uh, says, for the heart to change, there must be constant renewing of the mind. And that can only be achieved through the help of the Holy Spirit. Pastor Bimbala Lowry says, we can influence our negative thoughts positively with our confession. When we speak the word of God, when we confess the word of God, as he says, Second Corinthians ten five. I'll just read that real quick, four to five actually. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So, speaking in that way. All right. Wow. Okay. Uh, my time is almost up. But I think if we got that, I think um, 
my job is probably almost done for the day. All right. Uh, James compares the damage the tongue can do to a raging fire. The tongue's wickedness has a source in hell itself. Just note, just, I just want to just have at the back of your mind that if you don't really get a hold of your tongue, the devil can get a hold of it. Just so that we know that. We know that how Peter was talking to Jesus. I just had to talk to Peter and say, hey, Satan, get thee behind me. So if you don't control it. So Satan uses the tongue to divide people, pit them against one another. Idle and hateful words are damaging because they spread destruction quickly and no one can stop the results once they are spoken. We dare not be careless with what we say, thinking we can apologize later. Because even if we do, these cars remain. I mean, many lives, many families, many young ones' lives have been destroyed just because of careless words spoken. Somebody gets angry, says something. Please. A few words spoken in anger can destroy a relationship that took years to build. Before you speak, remember that words are like fire. You can neither control nor reverse the damage they can do. Thank God for the Holy Spirit who helps people to heal from scars, to heal from those things. But you can damage. But you can't control the effect of what you say. So, all right. So, taming the tongue, James chapter 3, verse 8 to 12. Let's read that real quick and we'll try and close. James 3, 8 to 12. Okay, I'll, quick, I'll just read from here. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. When it, with the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father. And with it, we, cur- we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. No human being can tame the tongue. Our contradictory speech often puzzles us. At least it should. I put that in because some people, they don't even know they're doing it. But if you have a conscience... You should, you, should, you should at least, wait a minute, did I just say, did I just come out of my mouth? Why? So that should puzzle you. At times our words are right and pleasant to God, but at other times they are violent and destructive. Which of these speech patterns reflect our true identity? Because, I mean, that's a question. But uh, because of time, I think I'll, uh, you should answer that on your own. The tongue gives us a picture of our basic human nature. We were made in God's image, but we, also, we, have also, we have also fallen into sin. God works to change us from the inside out. When the Holy Spirit purifies the heart, it gives self-control so that a person will speak words that please God. Remember that we are not fighting a tongue's fire in our own strength. You can't. You will not win. But the Holy Spirit gives us power to monitor and control what we say. So that when we are offended, the Spirit will remind us of God's love. That explains why even though Stephen was being stoned, he said, Father, forgive them. For they don't know what they are doing. That's the Holy Spirit right there. And we, we won't react in a hateful manner. When we are criticized... The spirit will heal the hurt and we won't lash out. When we are afraid or troubled, the spirit reminds us of God's power in us. And please, whenever the spirit reminds, you hear that gentle, still, small voice, speak what he says. He says he will remind you of what Jesus says. Speak that word. Speak that word.
Amen, amen, amen. Sorry, I, I think Brother Shola, uh, I'm trying to understand what he's saying here. So what happens when the angels that might be flying by? I thought that was why we say positive stuff. Okay, it's just trying to crack a joke. Okay, all right. <laughs> all right. Okay, awesome. Any questions, contributions, anything? Thank you, thank you, thank you. I hope this has been insightful. All right. Please, please, please watch what you say. Ah, even me now, as a teacher, I have to watch what I say. Oh, my God. All right. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Can we... Can, uh, all right. Okay. It's time for our tithes and offerings. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. All right. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Okay. The, uh, if we are watching online, the many ways of giving are displayed. You can text to give. You can use the fastest way. is probably the app, the AL app. You can also do Cash App or Zelle. If you're in, in the auditorium, there are envelopes to my left and to my right. All right, please let's give and give generously. God always loves a cheerful giver and a generous giver. If you are uh, worshiping with us for the first time online, thank you for joining us. We are privileged to have you. Uh, please connect with us. The information to connect with us will be uh, on the screen. If you're in the auditorium, thank you, thank you, thank you. Awesome. A few announcements. Um, okay. Uh, this Saturday, November 19th at 7 p.m., Oasis, that's our young adults ministry, are having their very first Thanksgiving celebration. Please, if you're a young person, um, I think below the age of 40, <laughs> This will be a time of fellowship and fun with great food and friends. Zoe prayer meeting. This is a monthly time of prayer and encouragement for our pregnant women and their spouses.